Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. Welcome to Belonging, a podcast that explores how to come home to yourself in the age of loneliness. I'm Becca Piastrelli, your host and guide on a journey of courageous reconnection as we explore topics like ancestral wisdom, cultivating meaningful sisterhood, living with the seasons and cycles of the earth and your body, and what it means to be a good ancestor. Hello, and welcome back to The Belonging Podcast. It's Becca Piastrelli here, and I'm continuing my little series of podcasts all about connecting more to your ancestry, because at the time of this recording, at least, we are in the season of the ancestors here in the Northern Hemisphere. Autumn, the time of waning, the time of going within, the time of dying in the sense that nature itself around us is in its dying phase, at least, um, the non evergreen ones. And it's an opportunity for us to look at those of us that have passed, look at the ways in which the cycle that is constantly cycling is moving towards death and then back into rebirth. And I find that Western culture is really obsessed with rebirth, seed sowing, and uh, struggles with the more internal, darker, death-oriented side of things. But there's so much wisdom in that part of the wheel, in that part of the cycle, in that part of us. And connecting to ancestors and seeing myself as both a descendant and an ancestor has helped me tap into the timelessness of my being, which helps my Western mind that really resists death and dying and and aging in a way that makes me feel excited to be here on this planet and also um, a future ancestor. So I want to talk today about this really interesting sticky point that um, I wish was talked about more and probably is talked about more, but not in circles I'm in. And that really has to do with the distinction of 
ancestral connection practices that might be seen as more spiritual versus like the scientific DNA mapping or genealogical research. And I'm not advocating for one more than the other. I think ancestral connection work is very intuitive and personal. But I do know that here in the Western world, with our Western minds and our linear thinking, we can think that really the only methods for connecting with our ancestors is through taking the DNA test and, you know, looking up the genealogical records. And there's kind of a lot wrong with that frame. And mostly that it's inherently racist. And when I say that term racist, I mean, it's upholding a system where white people or European descended people have more access to information and data than people of color. And I'm someone who has super benefited from my white European ancestry. I have so many records. And part of that is from the fact that I have family that have kept the records. But I also, like I go on ancestry.com and I click in the names and it is, I can go back to the 1600s. I have a few things where I can go back to the 1400s. And not everyone can have that kind of access. Even the DNA tests that um, people are raving about, and I myself really enjoyed doing, I did the 23andMe DNA test and encourage a lot of people who work with me to do it as well, is that test is based on, like the accuracy of that test is based on everyone else who's taking that test. And the majority of people taking that test tend to be white, or European descendant. So um, something really interesting I learned about uh, these DNA tests is if you have European ancestors, you can you can get you send in your information, you get the results back. And the results um, can tell you like not just Northwestern European, but like Irish or Scandinavian or like Denmark. Like they'll give it to you really specifically. But chances are, if you have African blood, uh, it'll be less specific. It'll be like Northeastern Africa. Or uh, if you're native, it'll just be like North America. Like think about how unfair that is. And it's really based on the fact that for thousands of years, we have lived and created, our ancestors have been a part of either being up, upholding or actively oppressed by a system of white supremacy where the white people, particularly men, cisgendered men, had more access to property, access to education. They wrote the history books. They marked down the genealogy. So the fact that I have all of this information, the names, the ages, the um, addresses, I have so much information. That's because I'm descended from white folks. So I think it's really important to acknowledge this, right? And it may be bringing some stuff up with you right now. And I just ask you to breathe through it because it's really important that we know the truth and acknowledge the truth that this is a system that we still exist in and ancestral connection work is for all of us. And so it doesn't always have to be done scientifically or genealogically, if that's a word. Some of us don't have access to this info, right? 
I mean, there's something called, if you are descended from enslaved folk here in the United States, what they call the black brick wall. There's just a point when you go back in time where there's no more information because if you have an ancestor who was enslaved, chances are there's there's probably not a record of their name or where they came from in Africa. Or if they died while being enslaved, records of where they were buried when they died, what's, if they even have a gravestone, you know, there's, I mean, really think about it. It's um, so unfair. So if you are a person of color with uh, slave ancestors, enslaved people's ancestors, you know, at some point you may run into that wall and not be able to go any further. Should that preclude you from being able to connect with your ancestors? I don't think so. The other thing to, to consider here is um, that it can, it can, for some folks, feel unsafe to take these tests, these DNA tests. Uh, and that has to do, like, for instance, uh, there was the one drop rule. Do you know about the one drop rule? That during slavery, if you had one drop of black blood, you could be considered a slave. And so if you take, I mean, that's not, that's not a rule that's in place now, but it's, it's still a part of our culture. If you think about the way we're treating Native Americans here with blood quantum, that Native American folks, the fact that in order to survive Native folks over the last several hundred years of being here in North America, Turtle Island, as they now call it, had to marry outside of their Native tribes to survive. So there's this thing called blood quantum where in order to be accepted into and registered with a tribal nation, you need to prove the amount of native blood you have. And so one could think they have a certain amount of native blood and then they could take these tests and it could say something different. And so these two things, blood quantum and the one drop rule are a part of our history. And, you know, we don't know how things are going to go with history moving forward. So if you're a person of color, it could feel really unsafe to take this test. What if it changes the story? What if it changes your status? What if it puts you and your family at risk? So I really want to honor and acknowledge that. I'm someone who has taken the tests and have felt clarity from it. You know, this last, this last podcast, I talked about understanding my maternal haplogroup and being able to trace back to my original clan mother of my line. I mean, it's beautiful and it's liberating and it's been so, so helpful in my own decolonization work, which I'll talk about in the next episode, but to be able to feel my own indigeneity again, to know that I am, yes, I'm an American, but I have ethnicity. I have culture. It's been so powerful for me in my work. But not everyone can do that or or doesn't want to, you know? I know some people feel really concerned with the DNA tests about privacy, uh, and that's real. And I honor that. I'm married to a cybersecurity expert who's always freaking me out about that stuff. So there are other ways to connect with the people who came before you, the ones who are well and bright, the ones who – or the ones who – even so, have done some really devastating things and you want to make peace with that and heal any sort of trauma. There are ways to connect that, that aren't linear or uh, oriented in the Western mind. And those are ones I actually 
find to feel more, what's the word? When I engage in practices that are less linear and more spiritual and spiralic around ancestral connection, there's a deeper home feeling, contentment, joy, meaning in it. And I embrace the fact that I may, you know, I can go on ancestry.com and I can get the names and the dates and I can get my spit test back and I can know the countries and the percentages, which by the way, aren't always fully accurate to be clear. Um, those of you who have taken like ancestry and then 23 and me, and then another one, you know, they they differ a little bit, but it's something right. And then when I do these sort of more spiritual, more esoteric, more spiralic, more whole time consciousness based practices, I feel something so powerful and sometimes subtle and sometimes massive uh, in a way that, you know, is all of our birthrights to be able to connect in that way. So I wrote a blog post called How to Connect with Your Ancestral Lineage, where I sort of go back and forth between the more linear ways to do it. And then the more sort of esoteric, non-scientific linear ways to do it. Uh, And I want to touch upon a few of them and talk about how they've really impacted me. And maybe you can try that as well. So one of the ways I've found connection to feel the most potent is I've physically gone to the lands of my ancestors. I usually save this one for last, but it's really the one I'm most excited about and the one that has the one that has really impacted me most deeply. Also food has impacted me most deeply, but I'll talk about that in a moment. I know it's not possible for everyone with time and money and access, but this past summer, I went to Maine. I just wrote a blog post about it. I went to Maine, which is the site of the earliest settlers of my line, of my mother's line, which has, my mother's line has been here in modern day United States of America, indigenous Turtle Island since the 1600s. They were the original settlers, colonizers of Maine, modern day Maine, which was Abenaki country, Abenaki native country back then and still is. I shouldn't say was, is still. And they were shipbuilders, built ships for trade and eventually to help uh, with the Revolutionary War efforts. And there's so much history in that place. A lot of it pretty tough to swallow, I've got to be honest. Bragging about killing Native folk, enslavement of African folk, a lot of trauma in my family around alcohol and rejection of love, um, but also a lot of beautiful appreciation of that land and the lobster fishing culture and the sweet simplicity and joy of going there every summer, appreciation of the blueberries, like the foods they would make and the traditions they would have. And I hadn't been back to Maine. I only went to Maine once when I was five and it was for a family reunion. And I remember everyone laughing a lot. And my mom told me, oh, they're, they were all really drunk. And, um, I think she was, she was uncomfortable. And I really honor my mom for all that she has done to create boundaries and heal her own relationship with trauma in her family and her for her mental health. I really want to honor her. I know she's listening. I love you so much. You have been so amazing in your own ancestral healing work. And then I turned 33 and I say, I want, well, I was turning 33 and I said, 
my birthday is on the full moon. It's an eclipse. I would like to spend it with you and your sister, my aunt, in Maine. And she said yes. And we spent a week there. And I'll share a little bit more over the coming weeks about that experience. It was really powerful. It was hard, I will say. It was pretty hard. And also really amazing. And I've never laughed so much. I now know how to eat a lobster the way. And um, got to just feel this land in my bones where, you know, I got to walk the cemetery where my ancestors with their incredible wild names. Also side note, the surname of this line is Root. I can't make this up, guys. I can't make this up. So I was walking around the Root Cemetery and just communing and saying hi and went to the place where my grandmother, my mother's mother's ashes were scattered and just had a really beautiful time. And I can only describe it as communion or connection and um, being in Maine, eating Maine blueberries just felt like an ancestral communion. Before that, a few, like maybe nine months before I went to Ireland and the way, and the reason I went to Ireland is because I dreamt about it. And I'm going to talk about dream work because dreams were the original divination tools of our ancestors before all the books and all the teachings and all the stuff that told us how to be and how to know what's right. And, you know, modern religion, uh, dreams were a place where wisdom and messages came through. And I still believe in that and try to cultivate a dream practice where I don't just wake up and think that was random. And I think, where's, what's the message here? What's the meaning here? And so I dreamt of Ireland. I actually saw a very specific image that I then of women dressed in white on a hillside, a green hillside that I knew to be Ireland. And then several months later, I brought a group of women over for a retreat experience where I looked up on the hill and we were all dressed in white. And I said, oh my goodness, I dreamt this. So I actually didn't know at that time, I didn't feel like Irish because the stories of our family were, came over from Britain, from England in the 1600s, where we're just white folk. No, there's, you know, we're New England. New England is our ancestry, New England. And then on my dad's side, it was Scotland. So I thought, hmm, but I really feel called to Ireland. Did some digging in by my very accessible genealogical records. It turns out Ireland is a part of our story. And so I went to Ireland for a week and actually it was a birthday present. I told my husband, Tim, I wanted to go and we didn't have the funds. So he started a GoFundMe page and many of my friends and family chipped in like $20 here and there enough for me to get a plane ticket. I fly over to Ireland and, um, rented a car and literally didn't have any Airbnb reservations or hotels and just followed my intuition. I had a few meetings, like people I was meeting up with who I'd been connected to, but it was a really magical week where I I felt I felt like stone there. I felt ancient and old. I felt almost like I was the land there. Like the land felt so familiar and so comforting, even in like lashing rain and wild winds, there was such like an old familiarity to it. And, um, you know, there were tough parts where like I drove on the wrong side of the road and, 
and felt scared and then <laughs> figured it out. And like, yeah, there was, there was some moments where I was like confused and lost and, um, stuck behind some cattle for an hour, but also delighted by it. But I actually didn't have to like go do all the things. I literally just laid on a hill on laid on the grass in the hill of Tara, which I highly recommend going to next to the nettle and the hawthorn trees and, and just felt it all. So pilgrimage to near ancestry or ancient ancestry lands, you know, pilgrimage can mean so much to so many people, but that's what that meant to me. And there's so many other places I want to pilgrimage to. I want to go to the South and Appalachia, where my dad's family came up through New Orleans and um, lived in Kentucky and in the Appalachian Mountains. And I want to go there and, and commune in that way. I'm going to Scotland next year with my family. I'm checking out England and Wales. I mean, it's vacation, but for me, it's not, it's a different energy from like let's see this cool place. I'm like really feeling it's the intent of feeling what comes through, even if it's grief, even if it's joy, maybe it can't be named on these lands and, and doing it responsibly doing it with an understanding and appreciation for the history. You know, I'm a, I'm a woman who is descended from some pretty rough stuff and I want to acknowledge it and be with it. And so being on these lands helps me connect to the history and the part my ancestors played in it. So dreams, let's talk about dreams. Yeah, we can really, uh, be confused by our dreams or skeptical of our dreams, but, um, I have been working on a dream practice where before I go to bed, I ask a specific ancestor to commune with me. And I'm very careful with boundaries, only if they're coming in a good way. Um, I've done research on this ancestor. I feel safe with this ancestor. And it's been a really beautiful experience. If you want to really make this a part of your life, um, I, su- I say just looking up dream work practitioners, but it's really important that when you wake up from a dream that you record it immediately. So that's either physically writing it down, which I know can be so hard, or picking up your phone and recording a voice memo, but really having a way, because you know how you kind of lose the dream after you wake up Um, and you're like, I'm going to remember this. And then you brush your teeth and you're like, nope, it's totally gone. So I sometimes like the best I can do is roll over and tell Tim my dream. And usually he later he'll be like, well, first of all, speaking it. I I remember a bit more and later he can try to fill in the gaps, but the best way to do it is to have a dream journal where one side you write night and one side you write day. And on the left side night, you write what the dream is as much as you can. And then on the other side, you have an opportunity to analyze it or come back to it and make notes. Um, there's so much more to say about dream work, but I guess what I really want to get across to you is pay attention to your dreams. There's so much in them and that you can divine them and you can also intend them. So another way to connect with your ancestors, and this has to do with food. It's really folk ways. So one of the ways ancestral traditions have been able to survive the rise of empire 
you know, the, the systematic elimination of, of folk tradition and the, um, the rise of whiteness, which is sort of like, uh, an effort to assimilate to a culture, especially if there's an immigration, immigration that's happened in your ancestral past, there might be a rejection of ethnic traditions, racial traditions, folk traditions, but that some have survived all that. Uh, particularly if, if it's, um, something that can survive orally and doesn't need to be written down. And that is food, song, dance, and story. So for people who know a tradition of ancestors, like I know that my ancestors lived in Southern Italy for a few generations, or I know we're from the British Isles, or I know we're from Northern Ireland, or I know... I have some ancestors who lived in like the northern, like northern lands of northern Europe, like Scandinavia. A great way to engage that ancestral memory within you and, and reconnect is to research, cook, and eat the foods of those people. I had an amazing teacher, Liz Milliarelli of Sister Spinster. I was in her um, folk magic and medicine of old Europe class for a year last year. And she would end the year with an ancestral foods potluck where we would all research a food and bring it in and tell the story of that food and then eat it together. And so for my Scottish heritage, I made scotch eggs, which took me deep into this story of the Selkies, which came from the fishermen culture who were around seals all the time and really created these beautiful folk tales about uh, half humans, half seals, which eventually became mermaids. And they would go out to fish all day and they would need to eat food that was could be put in a pouch, didn't need to be heated up or kept cold, peasant food. And so that's how scotch eggs came around. And so I made the scotch eggs and I told the story of the selkie and I, there's something about it that just made me drop more deeply into what it, what my ancestors who fished off the coasts of Ireland and Scotland and England, what their lives were like. I have had some clients who really wanted to understand their culture and I, I have assigned them the task of finding music on YouTube or even at libraries. Libraries are better than the internet for like folk research, PS for ancestral folk research, um, putting on the music, putting on, um, you know, like tying a scarf around your head, dimming the lights, turning off the lights, lighting candles and, um, cooking, a, cooking a meal of your ancestors, whether it's a meal up a recipe that was passed down, you know, like your grandmother's cookies or your, your mom's favorite soup. Or one that you can research like I did. Like I looked up Scottish foods and I found Scotch eggs. And and to really ex just immerse yourself in that evening, immerse yourself in an ancestral experience and see what comes of it. See what you dream of that night and really to immerse yourself in that experience. I think it's really helpful because again, this is not, doesn't need to be a linear path. Not all of us have the access, right? Not all of us want to go down that path, say you're an adoptee or you've really had to cut off your relationship with your family for mental health reasons, um, or you're not interested in that side or you are, but there's another side, which is I'd say more powerful 
And there are so many other ways to connect. Um, I highly recommend looking at that blog post. You know, you can make an altar. You can have a journal to talk to your ancestors. You can pray or bless your ancestors. You can put pictures of them up. There's no right way to do this for those of you that are like, I want to do it right. Should I do it all? Start with one thing. Start with one thing. Maybe it's just asking your grandmother to come to you in your dream tonight. Whatever it is, I invite you to dip your toe in and see what comes of it. And let me know how it goes. Or perhaps you have different ancestral connection practices. I would love to hear them uh, or read them. If you can, you know, go to belongingpodcast.com and let me know what your ancestral connection practices are. And if you've learned anything from this episode that you would like to put into practice and let me know how it goes several months from now, a year or two from now, let me know. You can also hit me up on Instagram at Becca P. Estrelli. So may all your ancestors who come in a good and bright way be heard by you. May you feel their love. May you feel them cheering you on. May it all become clearer for you as you walk your journey in this embodied life. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I know your time is sacred, and I hope this episode infused some inspiration and meaning into your day. For show notes, links, and references from this episode, you can go to belongingpodcast.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to Belonging on Apple Podcasts, and if you have a moment, leave a review. This helps my little podcast reach more listeners, and I would be ever so grateful.